Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. This is your Sunday edition. I am your host, Brian Karam. And with us are our two favorite regulars, John Bennett from, well, CQ Roll Call, an editor-at-large and columnist, and Michael Selden, the best prosecutor on the planet when he was with the federal government. And now he has his own podcast. Michael, I always, you want to give it a plug? It's called That Said Michael Zeldin, and it's really not a politics law podcast as much as it is. I take books that are of interest to me, read them, and interview the authors about those books. And I've had the joy of being on that show, and it's a very good show, and if you get a chance, you should catch it. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll get started. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question, uh, your weekend edition. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us again, John Bennett, Michael Zeldin. And uh, it's been an interesting week, as always, in, in news and politics. And I guess I'll start out with um, the latest. There is a, a Chris Cuomo, lately of CNN, and now uh, News Nation, I believe it is, and main anchor there, uh, was on the Mars show and on others saying that uh, maybe the country should just get over it and move on from January 6th. Now, from a legal standpoint, Michael, does that make any sense at all? Well, if you thought that what Gerald Ford did in pardoning Nixon made legal sense, then it makes legal sense. I'm not one who agrees with that perspective. I think that in cases such as we're dealing with with the January 6th events and the big lie that those people who may have broken the law need to be held accountable. So it's a matter of moving on or not moving on. It's a, it's a matter of accountability, and I'm in favor of accountability in matters of this type. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be a point there. You know, one of the things that I remember reading, I can't remember who said it, is like the only thing worse than prosecuting him would be not prosecuting him, that you have to pursue the prosecution because the seriousness of what happened on January 6th. Yes? Well, in, yeah. It, some people say, for example, that we don't do that in America. That's what third world nations do. They hold former political leaders um, accountable. Actually, I think in some sense, holding people accountable, whether they're a former leader or not, for criminal wrongdoing, 
is what is the bedrock of our democracy. So rather than say, well, we don't do that in America, we haven't had to do that in America, but doing it in America is what is the foundation of our nation built on rules of law and not on political prejudice. Now, uh, I, I go to you, John, for the, uh, the, the uh, key look on the media on this. How does that look for us in the press saying, hey, put it behind you and let's go? I, I'm puzzled by this one. Uh, when, when he still had his CNN show, uh, Mr. Cuomo was singing a very different tune. Um, I'll, I'll leave others to maybe uh, <laughs> calculate why when the name and the corner of the paycheck changes. Um, yeah, it's, it's just really puzzling uh, for a guy who goes on air and, and is so passionate really about everything. That's kind of his shtick. And, and you know, it, it comes over most of the time is sincere. So I'm not sure how he's going to pull this one off. Well, here's the question to follow up this week uh, in the news was, uh, you know, um, rebound COVID for, for, our, uh, for President Biden. And, uh, John, you said it, and I've heard it said by others, this guy can't catch a break. <laughs> no, no, Joe Biden couldn't catch a break if it landed in the palm of his hand. And, you know, he's had a sad life in many regards, of course, uh, losing his daughter and his first wife in a car accident, uh, lost his, um, his son, Bo Biden, who, um, you know, who knows, he could be in the White House right now, maybe uh, in, a, in a different universe. He passed away uh, as well. So, you know, um, this I don't know if it's bad luck. Uh, some folks just have kind of a cloud that, that follows them. And um, Joe Biden certainly doesn't. I don't think he has he has great luck. But politically, you know, I can see Donald Trump if he runs again. You know, I got covid. Joe Biden got it twice. And you know, going on and on for five to seven minutes about <laughs> Sleepy Joe, you know, getting sick all the time and holding, you know, he's in bed, he's sick, he can't leave the country. So, you know, you can probably hear it in my voice a little bit. I I sense what's coming from Trump on Biden yeah. COVID. And, um, you know, I don't know if any of us are looking forward to the 2024 general election because right now i would just sort of get past 2022 we're not there yet right but but i you know it's that dread it's the forget long COVID. it's the long dread of 2024 long COVID's got nothing on long politics frank luntz frank luntz did a focus group with i think i think it was six or seven democrats it wasn't any and republicans wasn't an even mix but one of the few things that everyone in that group agreed on republican and democratic i think with one exception none of them want Joe Biden and Donald Trump to run for president again. I think that's the majority of Americans. <laughs> yeah. other, other polls show that. Yeah, it's yeah. well over, well over half. Yeah. I'm going to move on then, and, and Michael, bring you in on the, the January 6th committee. Federal prosecutors this week, uh, that was a, a headline, are, are questioning people about Trump's actions. Um, what does that mean? Are we? you think we're circling closer to charges against the Donald? Well, it's hard to know what the end game is, but what you can see from the way Merrick Garland and Justice Foreman has methodically built its case is that they start at the bottom. They don't presume anyone to be a particular target. They just build the evidence upon evidence and see where it takes them. And at the present moment, it seems as if the evidence is taking them to considering Donald Trump a subject, meaning a person who could possibly get indicted, 
in a criminal conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding or defraud the United States. That's the clear implication of asking in the grand jury witnesses, what did Donald Trump do? What did Donald Trump say? Because they're trying to figure out what his state of mind is and to determine what his criminal culpability is. So you can't say, Brian, where it will end. But as a process, you can say that Trump is probably not just a witness. He's probably a subject, meaning he could, you know, end up with charges brought against him versus the end game, which would be a target, which is likely to be charged, which is what we see in some of the other cases, like in Georgia, where people have been named targets, being told, essentially, you're going to be indicted. So Trump sits somewhere in the in the middle, but the case is moving uh, rapidly, uh, to Merrick Garland's credit. Well, there's two factors in that, I think, and I'll get your take on uh, John and, and Michael both on that. There's political considerations, right? And, and not not foreshadowing what you're doing and not, you know, not coming right out and saying, Donald Trump, you're a target. Uh, it kind of keeps him. And then there's also investigative reasons for doing that, I would suppose. Uh, we'll start with the political stuff, John. I, you, you can see the political reason for not wanting to tip off the Donald, right? Sure. Uh, you know, nobody plays the victim better than Donald Trump. And in some ways, I think um, tipping him off and tipping the world off that that you were, you know, focusing on him, maybe the 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 focus of the investigation. Um, I think it would, in some ways, play into his hands. And um, you know, we've got reports, credible reports from the Washington Post and elsewhere that he may even announce his 2024 candidacy uh, before the midterm elections uh, in early November. I think this could, you know, if, if that came out, if or and then if you confirmed it, of course, I think it could lead him uh, to jump in even sooner and and argue. Uh, that he has to do that um, because it's the only way to stop the uh, the witch hunt, and um, you know that that's that really fits his personality that he might do something like that. Yeah, <laughs> you you think? Where are your thoughts now? I know originally you you never thought that, uh, or or you were tilting in the belief that he wouldn't be indicted. You you think that still, or do you think that's changed any? Indicted or or run. Uh, well, I, either <laughs> let's let's start with run. <laughs> you think he will run? I still I still am leaning that he will run for another term. Um, now, a few months ago, I was at seventy percent. I would put my right now. I'm closer to fifty five percent. So it you know it's come down, but he's doing all the thing. He's doing a lot of the things that a candidate would do. Um, you know, he, he spoke at the, the America First Policy Conference uh, in, here in town in Washington um, last Tuesday. Uh, he's hitting a lot of states, uh, key primary states. So, you know, he's he's doing all the things that, and of course he's raising money. We were talking offline yeah, well, about getting texts. That has nothing to do with politics. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's selling golf balls and, yeah. you know, by the way, I right before we went on the air, I have to let you both know I got a, I got my final notice. I'm a Donald Trump patriot. I'm a true patriot. And all it will cost me to get my certificate is forty five dollars. I yes, I got a text while I was having lunch. Uh, President Trump has chosen me 
Yeah. I am one of his 15 most loyal patriots. Uh, I mean, this is. I thought I was. (laughs) This is what he's doing to raise all this money, but. And he's not giving a lot of this money to Republican candidates. No, he's okay? not giving any of. He doesn't give right. any money away. What, what they their disclosure reports show that. So all this money is somewhere within the Trump organization. So right now, I got to think he's going to use that to run to to pay what legal fees he can justify using that 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 political cash. Um, but you know, and he, to bury his wife on his golf course in a gold casket. In a gold, yeah, that's. Uh, well, all right. So the second question for you, you think he'll be indicted? Um, I think if he's indicted, it, it won't be seditious conspiracy. Uh, Michael and others have have uh, educated me on that and, and, and led me to, um, to to flip my thinking on that. But, you know, certainly uh, defrauding the United States government or um, a, interfering in a, in a government. I don't know. Michael can correct me, but interfering or trying to stop a government proceeding. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. All right. So, Michael, do you you think we're looking at an eventual indictment of Donald Trump? I think it's too early to tell. I think that there are the political uh, considerations. The Merrick properly says they do not enter into it, but they do enter it through it. uh, Right. In some ways, they sort of seep into it. But when charging anyone under the federal prosecution guidelines, you have to be convinced that you can convince a jury of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and that that conviction needs to be sustainable on upon appeal. So I think that's a high standard for all prosecutors to meet in bringing charges. And in the case of a former president, I think the bar may be even a little bit higher. It means meaning the way you rigorously look at your evidence. We saw that in the New York fraud case when they wanted to bring it, but the new district attorney said, you know what, I don't think you have this case. And he uh, put a kibosh on it. So it's a long way of saying, I think that Trump is a subject of this investigation. I think that there are viable charges, obstructing an official proceeding, defrauding the United States, inciting a riot under the DC uh, DC and federal criminal codes. And then you leave um, the Georgia case to the Georgia case. So I think there's a 50-50 chance at best, or maybe at worst, I should say, there's a 50-50 chance at least that he will face some charges. Do you think that's uh, more or less than in the previous? Uh, I think think that the evidence is growing that criminal charges are warranted. Well, that's that. I, I I say, everyone that was involved should be prosecuted, indicted, and charged. And I, I hopefully that's that's where we go because I don't, as I said, I don't know that the country. Uh, I think you have to at least have accountability for what occurred. So wherever that leads, it should be pursued. So if it's if it's at Meadows doorstep, fine. If it's at Eastman's, fine. If it's at Jeffrey Clark's fat, flaccid butt, fine. Um, but wherever it leads, if we don't, uh, I, I firmly believe that if you don't proceed and pursue it to its legitimate, logical end game, that the United States of America suffers greatly for it, for what it's worth. If that makes any sense to anybody. 
So, but we'll go on to uh, is it because of the January six? Now we we won't see anything for a you know a few weeks till uh, what September now uh, from the um, <clears throat> committee. But is it and and John, I'll go to you first too on this one. You think Trump's losing his mojo, his political mojo on it? I noticed during the uh, the conference that he headlined here on Tuesday, there was a a lot of tepid applause. And remember, this was put on by uh, the America First Policy Institute. That was set up by uh, and consists of a lot of former Trump uh, White House staffers and people who worked in the administration. So, you know, he came out really hard with this this very 2016-like description of America as just crime everywhere, from big cities to small towns and it was really dark, uh, dystopian. Somebody wrote, uh, described it that way. Um, I, I certainly think that fits. I, I Real think, Homelander shit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I don't think that's the message that people want to hear right now. Uh, and you see Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence. I don't think Pence has a shot at the nomination, but, you know, they're looking forward and they're talking about inflation and gas prices and uh, lowering health care costs, you know, stuff that people feel every day. Trump's talking about this 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 crime infested cesspool, as he put it, and and focusing on an election, um, focusing on the 2020 election. He brought up the 2016 election on Tuesday. So I, I think he has he, he needs if he's going to run, he's going to have to get himself focused on um, a winning message. And, and I don't think he has it right now. So, yeah. And I think he has lost his mojo. I think the, the January six hearings. Um, they've damaged him in a number of ways. And number one is um, really preventing him from finding a message for 2024 uh, because he's clearly, you know, really upset and agitated uh, by what the committee's putting out there in these public hearings. Well, and um, Michael, he could still run even if he's indicted, right? I mean, there's nothing to keep him from running if he's indicted. That's correct. He can still run. The only criminal conviction that is disqualifying, disqualifying, I believe, is sedition and treason. There's an argument about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment barring him from running, but I don't put much stock in that argument. So, yeah, if he's indicted for, to use his example, shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue, he, yeah. he, can, still, he can still run. If he's convicted... I don't know what happens if he is convicted and then elected. I don't know what the circumstances of that are. Um, I, that almost bothers me. I would expect mind. that the Office of Legal Counsel opinions about why you can't indict a sitting president might you know, prevent you from jailing a convicted um, sitting president president but I, I don't know honestly the answer to that question uh, we've not faced it as a country so it's not it's not only unknowable to me i think it's just unknowable well and but to follow up with that what you just said could he you know it's been indicated that he would jump ahead of the game of an indictment and and announce that he's running to keep himself from being indicted do you think that if he does announce that that will put a kibosh on any criminal investigations into what he's done? No, I believe that would be 
irrelevant. If he announces tomorrow that he's running for president, Merrick Garland is not going to say, oh, well, then my investigation is over because he's announced that he's running for president. You can just think of every criminal who's out there charged or about to be charged with a crime announcing that they're running for president and thereby defeat the prosecutors. It doesn't it doesn't hold water. Well, and thank God for that. Uh, let's, let's move on a bit to, uh, well, I guess uh, uh, what I want to do is talk a little bit about the Secret Service and the, uh, the legal ways in which this falls out. I, I'll state right up front, you know, the deleted text saga is what we're talking about. I firmly believe that if the Secret Service had remained under the Treasury Department, instead of going to the Department of Homeland Security, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation because I think the Treasury Department was far better run and is less political. But that being said, Michael, with you, starting with you, is it a legal matter? Those deleted, is that an overt act? Is that is that prosecutable? The deletion after the asking for the texts, is that actionable in federal court? It could be. I mean, it's very, very fact-specific. But in its very worst case, if you are destroying evidence that you've been told to preserve with bad purpose, that you're maliciously destroying evidence because it's incriminating of you or somebody, then, yeah, that's a criminal offense and people can be charged with it. Um, and then there's a sliding scale of sort of culpability from just criminal down to ethical. And we just don't know where on that, that continuum this thing is. But it really is suspicious in that you, have, you start off with lo- learning that at Mar-a-Lago, there are boxes of protected classified documents that somehow made it out of the White House to, to Mar-a-Lago. That, that's really not heard of. And the excuses of how it got to be there, to me, um, were not very convincing. And then you get the Secret Service agents who aren't preserving in the ordinary course data, which if you went to the Apple store with your iPhone to upgrade, they would say to you, make sure it's preserved. Back it up. And then you get Cuccinelli and the other DHS guy. Um, they're not, their DHS phones are not backed up. And the inspector general is sort of halfway in and halfway out on trying to make sure that this stuff is preserved or not caring whether it's preserved. There's too much there to not be investigated for criminal um, bad intent. Regardless of criminal bad intent, John, <laughs> how many heads do you think are going to roll at the Secret Service, whether they get indicted or not? <laughs> I think a few. Um, unfortunately, I think uh, all of Washington has become, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit desensitized, desensitized uh, to Secret Service shenanigans like this. Um, we've talked about here, this is not the first time, sadly, that something like this has happened with uh, records during an investigation. Uh, but I think somebody will have to, uh, somebody will have to go, probably multiple people will have to go over this. Um, 
you know, you don't, if you're the secret service, you don't want this to become a thing uh, in Congress, uh, even if Republicans, if, you know, if we, we still think they're going to take over one, probably both chambers uh, next year, they probably wouldn't investigate, they wouldn't investigate this at all, really. Um, but before the end of the year, you know, if, if you don't let someone go, someone high up, uh, Democrats are probably going to make a big, uh, have some big time hearings about this. Yeah, uh, unless they lose the House. <laughs> I, mean, this year, I mean, the remainder of this year, yeah. while, while Democrats still have control. But again, you know, maybe it's just one, you know, maybe there's not that pressure from Congress because, you know, they're going to try to pass a few more big bills this year. Then they've got to keep the government funded. And oh, by the way, they've all most of them have to go run for reelection or help their colleagues. So they're not here that much more this year. So, you know, the Secret Service might somehow um, most of the folks in Secret Service might come out of this mostly unscathed. Oh, that's a joy. <laughs> before we before we go to the break, uh, the last thing I want to talk about, actually, I want to talk about your column this week. Uh, John, you said that uh, you, you spot Liz Cheney as a spoiler in the election. But before I get to you, I want Michael's opinion as an outsider looking in and just watching these hearings. Does Liz Cheney to you appear to be a potential presidential candidate in 2024? Well, as a Republican, no. Uh, would she run <laughs> well, as, a, as an independent? I doubt it. So I think the odds don't favor it. Uh, I don't think I found, found agreement with Cheney on any matter of substance until we got to January 6th. So she wouldn't be my favored candidate, but she has been you know, a beacon on the hill when it comes to accountability and, and high ethical standards and protecting the Constitution. And so all kudos to her. And I hope she wins her election and is not punished for having integrity. Well, we all know that integrity and in government may be, you know, <clears throat> conflicting terms. Uh, but that um, but that being said, I, I agree that I don't think that she could get the Republican nomination, but I don't think that that would keep her from running just a mess with Donald Trump a little bit and the rest of that and the of the snakes on, in that wing of the party. Um, so, John, I'll, I'll leave it to you to explain why you thought she would be a, a spoiler in the 2024 election. Right. The point of the column and, and the point of her running would not be to win, to win the nomination at all. Uh, it would be to hang in as long as she could um, and and make it to that debate stage so she could be the one on the stage to bring up all the things we're hearing about in the January 6th hearings, all the things that are, are slowly um, starting to leak out about the uh, DOJ investigation into January 6th. Um, you know, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, uh, you know, that list of, of probable candidates not even really a Marco Rubio, uh, not even really a Josh Hawley, both senators uh, could really bring that up because they need some numbers within the MAGA base. Uh, but Cheney could be the one to bring it up and remind remind voters, uh, Republican primary voters about January 6th, especially more moderate Republicans, uh, those suburban uh, mothers uh, and, and women who tend to vote Republican, maybe they're independents, they get to pick a primary, um, 
you know, to try to influence those folks. She's not going to win. She's going to win this much from the MAGA base and, <laughs> and primaries and however many states that she would be able to hang on uh, and, and compete in. But it would just be that to, to bring the message, to inject it into the primary and to be to be the one who could ding Trump on all of this, because, like I said, the others just can't do it because they need some amount of. The, no, they're part of the problem. It a, it, yeah, it would be a messaging candidate. And we've seen other candidates run in, in party primaries because they believe in Social Security or Medicare or cutting taxes. And they get in, they run really hard as long as they can on that one issue. Um, and then they drop out. So, John, the presupposition is one, Trump is running and two, she loses her primary and then she's going in there as a as a candidate candidate of integrity to remind America that Donald Trump is not suitable to hold elected office. That's the proposition. Correct. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that. No, I, 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 I would. But, you know, here's the thing. If you take a look at it. I think her and Kinsinger together would make a strong ticket in the general, but they couldn't get out of the primaries in the Republican. They would have much greater success in getting swing voters and moderate and what's left of the conservative end of the Democratic Party to vote for them. But they can't get out of their own uh, primary to do it. And Michael, I think you're right. There's no way in hell you could do it as an independent and she sure ain't going to run as a Democrat. <laughs> so No, I mean, yeah, to, to Michael's point, um, mm -hmm. I think I brought this up last week. CQ Roll Call, uh, we do, my colleagues do these vote analyses, and she votes with Republican leaders 90% of the time. Yeah. She voted with Donald Trump, I think, 90, 92 or so percent She was of the in time. for the racism. She was in for the misogyny. She was in for right. all of that. So she is one of the most conservative members, not just of the House, but of both of either chamber. So, you know, if she Republican voters, ironically, if she became president, they would probably really love uh, her policy agenda. It would line up more with their beliefs on everything. But same sex marriage, of course, uh, her sister is gay. Uh, that caused some strife in their family uh, years ago. But she's since um, become a supporter of same sex marriage. But on every other issue, uh, she's more Mike Pence than she is Donald Trump. Well, there's a mental image I hoped I would never have, but nonetheless, there it is. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about, including Joe Manchin, of all people, who has, uh, I don't know, he's, he's stepped up for to do something for the Democrats, hasn't he? Maybe? Well, we'll see. We'll stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask a Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me, John Bennett and Michael Zeldin. We're talking about uh, the news of the week. 
And uh, I, I guess we'll go back to Joe. Joe Manchin, we have in the press been led to believe time and again that there is no way in hell that Joe Manchin is going to help out the Democrats. And yet, apparently he did this week. But can Biden trust him? <laughs> or should they? John, what do you think? I wouldn't trust Joe Manchin very much. Um, I mean, he's out there. He was out there today. Uh, he did all five Sunday shows. Uh, but as our friends at Politico Playbook point out, uh, it was not a traditional full Ginsburg because he was remote. So, But he did hit yeah. all five shows this morning. And he defended the bill, uh, what he and Schumer, Chuck Schumer have come up with here. Um, he explained his position more um, as far as this bill. He says it's more balanced. Um, he says, you know, it's it's got it, it, the financing behind it is is more solid. Uh, I think that the overall spending, of course, is way down in this bill, and he doesn't think that it will add to inflation. Um, now, all of that. This is the three hundred sixty billion government spending bill. Right, a lot of things to address uh, climate change. Um, there's some he he says these are not uh, tax heights hikes on corporations, but they're just closing loopholes. Um, we'll see about that. We'll see if that if that plays. But he is defending the bill. So it looks like for now, Joe Manchin is a yes. And they plan to vote on this this week. They're going to move really quickly. Um, but the question is, uh, Kirsten Sinema, moderate Democrat from Arizona, she has said nothing about this bill. She was also a no uh, last yeah. December when when she, uh, the first time that Manchin walked away, uh, she also walked away then. But most of the focus was on on Manchin because the media is absolutely obsessed with the former West Virginia University quarterback. Uh, but she's <laughs> going to be she's going to be the key here. Now, can you trust Joe Manchin to vote? Yes, I think so. Can you trust Joe Manchin to help you lock up that key vote? I don't think so. He admitted again today that. You know, so he cuts this deal. He reverses himself on 360 something billion with a B dollars in government spending. You know, I changed my mind on, on what I wanted for lunch. This guy changes his mind on 360 billion dollars in, in new spending, you know, like the weather changes so that he's not. I don't think he's going to do very much to help secure cinema's vote. And, and that's the key here. You know, he can go on all five Sunday shows. He's going to be a star on Capitol Hill this week. The cameras are going to follow him around like the Pied Piper, and he's going to eat it up just like he always does. He loves the attention, uh, but he can't be bothered to make one phone call. No, and he never will be bothered to make one right. phone call. He right. likes to say that he doesn't try to change people's minds, although you and I have both seen him do otherwise. Right. <laughs> but that being said, Michael, I, I want to ask you a different question. Um the investigation uh, into the results of the election this week, Donald Trump had, is still trying to push at least I think it's Wisconsin, maybe even Ohio to change their 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 vote still. Did I get the right state? Uh, but he's uh, pardon. I think Wisconsin. Yeah, I think it was Wisconsin. Uh, and it look, that is that ship has sailed, has it not? That's there's nothing he can legally do about that. But the question is. I guess I have is, can he throw any more additional legal roadblocks in front of him to protect him from being investigated for the things that he's now being investigated for? Or is this just typical Donald Trump bullshit? I don't believe he can prevent Merrick Garland from indicting him if Merrick Garland 
feels that the facts in the law warrant it. All of the shenanigans that he's up to historically and presently won't deter Garland if the facts in the law support it. Do you think that there's anything legally that Donald Trump, is there any legal quiver, you know, any legal arrow left in his quiver in order to uh, keep the, the hounds at bay? Or is he simply going to eventually have to fall to those? Well, he can end the investigation by pleading guilty. Beyond <laughs> that, I don't think that Merrick Garland is going to be discouraged by his um, antics. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he'll plead guilty to anything? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> and, and, and the question I've always wanted to ask you is, as you look at this, do you think that the Constitution was written with any of this in mind, could and and does do certain laws need to be changed in order to keep this type of shenanigans from happening in the future? Well, they need to change some of the things that they're talking about changing, which is the role of the vice president in the certification and the sanctity of the the state um, certifications before it gets to the vice president. So there are things like that. I think that the the single most important thing that's missing is an end to voter suppression and gerrymandering and all the things that undermine our democracy by diluting the power of certain populations to vote and making it hard for all people to vote. That is what needs to be done. That's what needs to be changed. Yeah. And how do you do that when you have a gerrymandered district? And uh, I think there was a um, study out this week that showed that of the many countries on this planet that we rank, you know, we're like 75th or 100th in literacy. How do you how do you get people to understand that they're losing their rights when they can't understand the language they're speaking? Well, it's a very good question. I, I had an interesting um, that set with Michael Zeldin podcast with E.J. Dion and Miles Rappaport, who have this very interesting book called 100 percent democracy, which is an argument in favor of the United States moving toward mandatory voting as exists in Australia and 20-something other countries. And their proposition is that if it was required for people to vote, then people would inherently become more literate because it's an obligation that they have to take more seriously, like jury duty. And what would what would be the, uh, if you, so in, in that scenario, what is it, a criminal, you'd be criminally liable if you didn't vote? Well, so it's a it's sort of mandatory participation, meaning you can go to the voting booth and choose none of the above. You could abstain from voting for matters of, of conscience and do alternative service, do an hour as a as a polling watch person or some other thing, or you could pay a twenty dollar fine. So it's not a criminal offense. Um, it's like a speeding jail. It's just like the best analogy is jury duty. We all have a duty to do our jury duty, but there are some reasons that you can get out of jury duty and there'll be the same some reasons to get out of voting. But the default is you vote regardless of whether it's Democrat, Republican, independent, none of the above for yourself, but you participate. So it's getting people to participate. The, the thought being that if you have a stake in the outcome, then you'll become 
more learned in the issues about which you're voting. It's an interesting argument. And as a reporter, if we had more, you know, uh, literate people, I'd be for that. <laughs> Maybe they'll read a paper or two. <laughs> like the Hill. What do you think, John? <laughs> Even buy a newspaper. How about that? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> sure. Uh, read the Hill, but um, right before you read the Hill, be sure to read Roll Call. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Let me ask you this then, John. <laughs> Uh, CQ roll call. Uh, <laughs> what, where, where do you fall on uh, one of the most important things I keep thinking about when we when we talk about uh, politics today is how we screw it up, and we've enjoyed having that conversation here often. Um, where do you think we have failed our public in political reporting in the U.S. this year? I won't go back last. I won't go back during the Trump years. But but now today, where do you think we've fallen down? Well, I think one thing we could do better was illustrated um, by the uh, coverage of, of the Mansion Schumer deal. This uh, build back better light, as it's being called. You know, a, a lot of the initial uh, stories jump to the to the almost predicting or, or just stating as fact that that it was a done deal. And of course, it's not a done deal, as we've talked about here. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, it's almost sometimes like we're rooting for outcomes. And I think uh, within the media, one thing that, that shows through is that we are almost afraid that Trump might come back as president. And I think it's twofold for us. Uh, number one, covering him, Brian, as you and I know, um, it's a bear. It, yeah. It's a twenty-four-seven roller coaster ride that that changes lanes and veers all around and and all kinds of things. It's just chaos. And number I'm two, I'm still you know, worn out. Yeah. And number two is citizens. I, I think it's safe to say that most of the media didn't vote for Donald Trump. And and January sixth, you know, we've all spent time in the Capitol. I was up there last week, um, and we were all. Um, understandably shaken up by January 6th. Uh, so I, I think that shines through and it's almost like we're rooting for certain outcomes because, you know, if, if Biden and Democrats can stack up enough accomplishments, you know, maybe Biden could hold on to the white house. Maybe that would make Kamala Harris more competitive against Trump. If, if, if she becomes the nominee, if Biden were to, to stand down. So I think that's, I think that really shows through is, is we're rooting for that. And, Michael, and that's not our, that's not our job. It's not. It's not. Michael, where do you think we've fallen down in the press? Well, I think that you fall down in the same way that you've always fallen down, which is that <laughs> you cover things sometimes like it's a sporting event. I mean, on the on the morning shows today and during the week, it was, are you willing to admit this is a recession? Are you willing to admit this is a recession? Are you really now to admit that this is a recession, even though the answers that they kept getting back was way more nuanced. Jobs are way up and that's not typical in a recession. And the numbers of two consecutive months don't necessarily, but they, they want this headline admission of a, a recession today on the, the shows that I watched the meet the press and the channel seven Stephanopoulos show 
they kept harping with Mampton. Are you going to support the Democrats? Do you prefer the Democrats to the Republicans? Are you going to support? Are you going to, rather than sort of tease out of him, how did he come from not doing Build Back Better to doing this? What specifically about this conversation uh, that you had with Schumer convinced you? And he did a little bit. He tried to say, look, I don't want to talk about partisan political races and who I prefer, which party. Let's just talk about substance. But they didn't want to talk about substance. They really wanted. So, I mean, I think it was Chuck Todd who said, so you're not willing to admit that you want the Republicans to to not win or the Democrats to win. And, and that'll be their, you know, breaking news, Chiron. Yeah. Manchin won't, won't, won't support doesn't doesn't necessarily support Democrats when you know and 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 it's garbage it's so much easier than than explaining policy well see and that's where I go with it I think that at the end of the day we're just too damn stupid we don't understand the nuances of the of the things that we're covering and it's much easier to treat it as a ball game and put the shallow and meaningless stuff out there because that takes less effort and less experienced to understand. But the truth of the matter is it's far more nuanced than than simply, you know, I support this or I support that. And you're right, teasing out a, a freaking great point, teasing out how he got to where he got, I think is more important for American voters and more important for the American public. How did this deal come about? How solid is this deal? Why did it come about? And I'll go back, you know, we talked about the... Um, a little bit about the DHS and the uh, Secret Service. All this week, and when I was in the uh, briefing room this week, it was all about Joe Biden getting COVID still. And, you know, now the rebound COVID and everything that was asked. And none of the questions about, I, you know, the question I really would like answered is, and, and I think I said it here the last week, and I still haven't gotten an answer to it. Does President Joe Biden feels safe with his security detail. And why is Tony Ornato still there? What, 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 at some point in time. And then again, I also want to give kudos to the dog that, you know, that bit the secret service agent. Now it's like dogs know <laughs> they're better judge of character than people, but nonetheless, it, where, where do, when do we stop covering events as, as either train wrecks or sporting events and dig into nuance. And I don't think you can do it without there being, you know, far more experienced reporters doing it. John, you have reporters that work under you. Your thoughts? I'm lucky enough to have uh, a couple uh, experienced reporters <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing much different uh, uh, kinds of reporting and different kinds of stories. And that's, you know, that's what we do is CQ roll call. That's what we specialize in is, is policy and, of course, we cover the politics of, of how they they write these bills and, and the politics behind the policies. Of course, we do that. Uh, but, you know, we we're we're lucky enough to still work at one of the few places. Um, and, and, you know, that's that's how our model is set up is to give people uh, that policy reporting. And so, you know, we don't we don't we don't fall into that um, over the years. Various ownerships have. Have tried to force that really on on the roll call side, but um, 
you know, if, if you want that policy reporting, uh, please uh, feel free to, to buy a subscription to CQ. We'd, we would love to have any and all uh, readers who are interested. Don't, don't worry if you mess it up too bad. The boss will pardon you. Right. That was um, who was that this week? That was uh, Matt Gates said that about Trump this week to Rudy Giuliani, um, who did not get a pardon. Yeah, that's pardon. Pardon. Anyway, <laughs> we'll take a short break and when we come back. We'll have some final thoughts. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. Again, that's at J-A-T-Q Podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today, Michael Zeldin and John Bennett talking about the news of the week as we do, as is our want on Sunday. And I have some final thought questions for both of you. Nothing, none of it has to do with rock and roll, or uh, but maybe. But but I will. I'll go there here with you, John. My final thought to you. You know, we've talked a lot about where you know the 2022 and 2024 election, and the need for. And both parties, majority of voters, do not favor either Trump or Biden to run in 2024. Who do you think the top three in each party are that will run if those two do not? Mm. Let's start with the Republicans. Where do you, who would you pick as the top three Republicans to run in 2024 if Trump doesn't? Uh, Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, uh, Mike Pence, uh, former vice president, of course. And um, I guess I'll go with uh, Nikki Haley if, if Trump doesn't run. And, and on the Democratic side? Sure. Uh, Kamala Harris. And I would have to throw in uh, Beto O'Rourke, no matter how the Texas governor race uh, pans out. And I'm going to throw in Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. And um, if I was giving the Democrats some advice, I would take a hard look at Governor Newsom. (laughs) There you go. And and Michael, for you, the final thought is as the prosecutor among us. Wait, can I just add one second before you? Yeah, I also like John um, Murphy from Connecticut. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah, why? Why? Because he has been. Um, I think he's been progressive enough, and he's also been one of the guys who has been in the middle of negotiating bipartisan deals on guns and and other things. So I think there's a and he's young and he's attractive as a as a candidate from Connecticut. So I, I would take a, and he doesn't have the baggage of Newsom and the recall. Um, right. So I, I would take a hard look. If anyone's going to, if they're going to challenge Kamala Harris, if she's not a foregone conclusion, then a guy like Murphy, to me, may make sense. I noticed neither one of you said uh, Buttigieg. Is there, you, you think he would not be a, a formidable candidate? Michael? I, I don't know. I mean, and I don't know enough. He's moving to Michigan now. He's going to re, you know, boot himself as a as a Michigan resident. I'm not sure that it's that he would run against, that he would challenge Kamala Harris. I, I think. I think his go at it again would be 
2028, but I, I don't follow it that closely. John, why not yeah. Buttigieg? I think that's right. Um, I don't know if he would, you know, jump out of line and and challenge um, a sitting vice president who, if if she is the heir apparent, uh, especially if you know if if he's still treasury secretary or right. they're both members or, of the same administration, yeah, or or if he's you know out of the administration for six months. I, I I don't think that would be a great look for him. And and he's a very young man, and he's got plenty of political life ahead of him. And you know he might he might decide to to go make some some real money for a few years and and then get back into politics um you know he, he and his husband also have uh you know a, a baby at home so they they might want to just uh you know spend some time with their with their son i think it's a uh, the twins mm -hmm. baby yeah so, yeah so they're, they're gonna be plenty busy with that he might want to make some real money for a few years uh let the kids grow up and then get back in politics fine and a final question for both of you um how would you rate at this point in time the the Joe Biden administration? It, we are a year and a half into it. We are looking square in the last 100 days now uh, before the uh, Republicans uh, maybe take over the House, retake the House. There are all kinds of criticisms of uh, Biden for a variety of things. Now, look, that being said, he's much better than Trump. That's a low bar to pass over. So let's not worry about uh, about well, gosh, he's better than Trump because, like I said, I've you know I've got a dog that likes to snack on his own you know merits, <clears throat> uh, to put it nicely, in the backyard, and he's got he he's more electable than Donald Trump. But that aside, take a look at uh, and and of course anybody who's going to listen to this, no, we're not advocating that we return to the era of Trump with or without Trump. But independent of that, how do you think uh, Biden has done as president in the first? year and a half of his and it's 100 days before the 2022 election. Michael. Well, two things. One is if you look at legislative accomplishments, assuming they just got the, the micro processing thing done, if they get this build back better light passed, if they pass the fire pit insurance, you know, coverage for veterans, then he'll have had a lot of legislative accomplishments, but nobody is giving him much credit for that. Their communications messaging is, is terrible. And of course, all those legislative accomplishments still have no impact on the way people feel about their daily lives, which is food is too expensive and as is gas. Now, the thing that's, you know, of course, problematic is that were all of all of a sudden a Republican to be president, and you asked her, "What would you do to bring down gas prices? What would you do to bring down food prices?" That former President Biden is not. There's no easy answer to that, and no. and so you know he's in he's in the same sort of boat that George Herbert Walker Bush was in, which was just really bad luck, bad economic luck. And Clinton, you know, could run on as the economy stupid, did nothing about the economy other than reap the benefit of the tech bubble and pretend as if right. it was his policies that, that did something. So I, I don't know. I guess the answer, Brian, is I think he's had a lot of legislative accomplishments. I think they're communicating what those accomplishments are has been terrible. 
and he finds himself in this terrible economic mess that maybe the Fed could have done something about earlier, but now we're really playing catch up and it's going to plague him for a while longer. John, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with, with everything Michael said, um, yeah, especially about the, the communications, which, you know, you and I, Brian, study closely. It, it has been really bad and kind of a, a puzzler this week. Kate Bedingfeld was the is the there White House you go. director. She worked for the campaign, came over to the White House. Uh, she announced uh, about a month or so after Jen Psaki uh, left the White House as press secretary. Uh, Ms. Bettingfeld, that she also was going to leave. Um, you know, she was asked to stay on while the president had COVID the first time, and, and she did so. And somewhere in that period of, of Biden having COVID, um, the president himself reportedly asked her to stay uh, more long term. So she's going to stay. And I think this says a lot about uh, the Biden White House and the president himself. The communications are not working, and yet he's asked the head of his communication shop to stay on, and it's just really puzzling judgment. Why is she the one who's going to fix it if, if she's the one who's been leading a broken communications shop? And that's very telling, I think. There's just that that gear that, that you want to see uh, from a White House. They don't seem to have that, that fifth gear to, to really get up and go. And, you know, they're not breaking through. Michael's right. They, it looks like they're going to have a lot of legislation piled up that they could that they could go run on. But nobody seems to give a damn. So, you know, right. I, I you know, if you're asking me to give them a grade, I would probably C plus B minus. Um, but but I don't think I could go go any higher than that. I, I agree. I what I find. Infuriating, intriguing <laughs> is that. The Democrats seem to be more interested in protesting themselves than they are in, in standing up and telling us what they've done. And I still don't understand the concept of a member of Congress who has the ability to introduce and pass legislation protesting in front of the White House when they have at the means of their disposal the levers of government to make the changes that they want. I, it's almost like it. And then to have a a president whose whose entire message seems to be we're not Trump. Mazel tov, great, you're not Trump. What what are you? And to Michael's point, everything that they've done, I if I had passed the infrastructure bill, I'd be running on that 24-7, suck up all the air you could with it. And they don't do it. So, you know, all three of us are in agreement on their communications. And I found the Bedingfield thing, I you and part of the reason why. If you know this, if you've been to the White House at all, and, and you know, I have often uh, during the uh, Biden and Trump eras and others, uh, this administration has one of the smallest communication staffs I've ever seen of any modern president. I mean, they're literally just, you know, it, it's like, you know, you off the street, let's go, communications. Um, and then they staff it. I mean, you know, it used to have three or four Wranglers working events at the White House, maybe you know, maybe a half a dozen of them working the White House during the um, the Trump administration. You'll have one trying to wrangle everybody during the, uh, and that's just you know during uh, Biden, and that's just very difficult to do. So I don't know that they place an emphasis on their communication, and I think uh, the Bedingfield thing is more like a band aid on an open sore. 
They, they don't want to deal with the larger issues of their communication problems. And as such, I mean, even though that you look at everything that's going on with January 6th, Matt Gates, <laughs> Jim Jordan, uh, uh, Eastman, Matt uh, Meadows. I mean, I could go on and on with uh, uh, Bobert and uh, uh, the crazy woman who believes that we should become, you know, and I can't even say her name because it drives me nuts, that we should become a, a Christian nation. Uh, Marjorie Taylor <clears throat> Green. Um, it, you know, those people, you look at, they are out of step with the majority of Americans, and yet it's almost as if the Republicans could run a dead squid and still get elected. And I just, um, I, you know, at some point in time, that's all about communication, and the Democrats haven't really done that well. Uh, so anyway, well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. It's great Wait, as always. One second, Brian. Yes, one second, yes. because John has not had his opportunity to inject sports into this conversation. Oh, you are right. Before we leave, I just want to have him give us his thoughts on the death of Bill Russell. Oh, wow. 11-time uh, NBA champion. Uh, you know, he, he, he was really one of the first ones who could compete with Will Chamberlain and, and, and give Chamberlain uh, a big athletic body and, and, and you know, really uh, try to slow him down and also score as a big man against Chamberlain. And then later in his life uh, was also a, a, a really good uh, NBA coach, but also has a, a really uh, impressive resume on, on civil rights and, and racial issues and, and was really outspoken and really forceful and really persuasive uh, on those issues. So um, definitely a legend. And I don't think the, I don't think the world got any better this afternoon when, when Mr. Russell passed away. Did any of you ever see him play? I've yeah. seen clips, yeah. Clips, but live? No. Michael? I believe I did, yes. I, I did, too. I have to, I have to damn, look, I'm old. <laughs> I, have to, I have to look back to see when it, when his when, – when, when, John, do you remember when, when did he retire? It was 69. I, I yeah, I think that sounds right. Because I want to yeah. think that I saw him play in the Willis-Reed um, era of the Knicks. I think he was still playing – then and if so, I would have definitely seen him play against Reed um, in at Madison Square Garden. I saw him play in '69. That I know, um, and I think that was his last uh, season. Um, I, I saw the Celtics uh, play the Knicks, and uh, I don't remember the Knicks, but I remember I remember Bill Russell. He was, you know, and. That was, uh, you know, that was the same era. Man landed on the moon, all that kind of stuff. That was his last season, and I just remember he was part and parcel, part of that era. You know, the, the Beatles, man landing on the moon, and Bill Russell. <laughs> <laughs> right, but but John is right to say that Bill Russell not only was you know sort of transformative as a player, but in his post-playing life was an example of what a you know a citizen athlete. Um, should be. Hey, amen. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thank you, and we'll catch you next time. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Question's newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. 
Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast.